0: hi everyone thank you very much for joining me today without other co-hosts today but with a topic which is hopefully important so the latest development is that although there is a light at the end of the tunnel with a pandemic many countries experience what we could call maybe a third wave many people are still not vaccinated actually the majority so it's like a race between the virus and the vaccine so normally, we are in a relatively good place, we see end at the end of the tunnel. However, there have been these back and forth with one particular vaccine, AstraZeneca. And of course, here you're not going to hear any technical analysis about whether the vaccine is good or bad, but there's a very interesting development. And the development is that some countries, and actually one country after another in Europe, are pausing the distribution of this particular vaccine because there have been some suspected counter effects and what are these counter effects so we read from the european medicines agency that there have been and there have been some suspicions about links with an increased risk of blood clots from people who have had the vaccine so the european medicine agency tells us that there have been 30 incidents of uh, thromboembolic events Related to people who have gotten the vaccine. But there has been the clarification that keep in mind that deep vein thrombosis is usually met in one in every 1,000 people. So you do the math, you realize there's not necessarily a correlation here. And actually, many people have said that the incidence in people who have taken the vaccines is lower as a percentage from what you'd expect from anyone, whether they have taken the vaccine or not. So there are two issues here, because you could say, okay, why is this a topic which is of interest to philosophy? Well, everything is of interest to philosophy for two reasons. The one is the mere realization, if we step a bit back and see what is happening here. So what would happen in a reasonable free society? You would say, look, I will estimate the risk for myself. So what I see is, in one case I have a virus which says which has let's say I'm giving an average let's say one in 300 chances of giving me a hard time or maybe killing me. On the other side we have a vaccine from if we follow these numbers that were given to us by the experts it has something like 6 in a million chances of creating me a problem. Now I would say, and I suspect most people will say, look, my judgment tells me that this is a risk worth taking. So therefore, thank you for, for for telling me that there is a slight question mark here. Could this vaccine have some counter effects on this area? But I take the decision based on my life, based on my hierarchy of values, the way I understand risk. I will say that I will take one in 300 compared to one in, uh, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or whatever. But this is not the case. So what happens is that the central planner, whether it's a state bureaucrat, prime minister, or a committee of bureaucrats, take this decision for us. And this is one of these very rare occasions where you see a principle being concretized and seeing what this concretization means for your life. So this is the concretization of, we are all in this together. We're all in this together means that you might want the vaccine, that people actually are gonna die from, unfortunately from not taking the vaccine, if the virus unfortunately continues the route that we see. But there's this bureaucrat or there's this statesman or state woman who tells you, no, I took this decision for you, tough luck. So we're all in this together means that the decisions for your life are not yours. So again, it's very rare that you see philosophy like walking around and staring you in the eye. Now that's the first interesting issue in this discussion. The second interesting issue for me is that in every bad situation, I don't remember who said that, so I'm paraphrasing here, but in every bad situation, look for the bad idea behind it. And what is the bad idea behind this? What is the bad idea that because we have a very slight risk that we're not sure about, we're gonna put on hold something which is very, very beneficial. And this idea has a name, it's called precautionary principle, the precautionary principle. And actually there have been governments and states, Ireland is an example, that have specifically named this principle as the reason why we hold the vaccinations from this particular vaccine, because we're not very sure about this risk. So, what is the history of the precautionary principle? It's a very interesting history. So, I'm not doing this as a historical overview just because. I do it because we, again, we're going to see what is the importance of ideas in our lives. So, we both go back to 1992. We go to the Rio Declaration of the United Nations. So, this was a big meeting that is a landmark in the preservation of the environment and our fight against climate change and environmental degradation. So it's principle 15 and the principle says, quote, in order to protect the environment, comma, the precautionary approach shall be widely applied by states according to their capabilities. And here's the important part, quote, where there are threats, of serious or irreversible damage, lack of full scientific certainty shall not be used as a reason for postponing cost-effective measures to prevent environmental degradation. What this means in very, very simple words. If we're not sure that something is dangerous, but could be dangerous, we need to take measures to mitigate that. What does this mean in practice? Let's say you build a factory. And let's say the environmentalists do not have proof that your factory is going to cause damage, but it might. And this might could be, I don't know, 50%, 20%, 1%. We're not sure. Then it's not that the environmentalist has to prove to you that your factory is gonna cause damage you have to prove to the authorities that your factory will not cause damage. Now, many people will say, wait, isn't this a good thing? Isn't this what we usually call better be safe than sorry? And I will say this is not the case. Better be safe than sorry means, oh, I see a mole. I'm not 100% sure. I'll just go and check. Probably it's nothing. What do I lose? Half an hour and 50 euros, whatever. But here we have something very, very different. Here we have that if you don't take the action, there is also the cost of inaction. And the cost of inaction in the one case is that you're gonna have no factory or the factory is gonna be way more expensive. Or it could mean that in this case, again, predictably, many, unfortunately, many people will die. If you do the maths, how many people die from COVID and what is the risk from COVID and what is the other risk, then you realize about what is the balance that we're talking about. Now, what is of even more interest to me is why has this principle been so much embodied in the institutions of the West, in the philosophy of the West, that even in this moment of crisis, unfortunately, we have to mobilize. And here we have to go to the teeth to, to the ideas of one of my mentors from a sociology called Frank Furedi. So Frank Furedi is one of the people who have definitely changed my life, changed my thinking, changed the way I view the world. And he talked about the culture of fear. And the culture of fear for him is that the West has changed the way it views risk. So we don't view risk anymore as a part of life but B, as something which is in a way even exciting. So think about the 60s when we're about 50s and 60s to conquer the, the, the space. We understood that the risk is part of these kind of endeavors. But we said, yeah, this is part of the story. Now our relationship to risk has changed. So now our relationship to risk is, well, what is the worst case hypothesis? And let's try to mitigate that. And again, you might say, well, this is a good thing because then nothing bad happens. But let me ask you this question. Imagine we had the precautionary principle when we came up, and when I say we, humanity, with aviation, airplanes. Would we ever have created airplanes with a precautionary principle? The answer is clearly no. Even even in some of the biggest advantages in medicine, it's very difficult to imagine them happening if you apply the precautionary principle, which is prove me that it's not gonna be bad. Not show me why this is risky, but prove me why it's like, it's like going to someone and say, prove me that you're innocent. So it's a difference between someone saying, prove me that you're guilty. So I say, oh, I saw this guy, he punched this other guy, he's guilty. And going to the random guy and say, prove to me that you're innocent. So for France this moment where we see where we change the way we view risk is very, very central in the trajectory of the West. So and here is how this thing has applied to policymaking. Environmentalism is one area, perhaps the most famous historical, shall I say anecdote, no moment of the precautionary principle was the Donald Rumsfeld interview moment before the operation in Iraq. So if you remember, the defense secretary of the United States, Donald Rumsfeld, tried to persuade people that Iraq is a huge danger and we need to attack. And at some point, I think it's a journalist asked him, well, do you know that actually Iraq has weapons of mass destruction? Or do you know that Iraq is going to give these weapons to terrorists? And Ramsell says something fascinating. And a lot of people have caught on that. Even Marxists like Zizek talks all the time about that statement. So Ramsell says, there are three things in life. One is things we know that we know. Then it's things we know that we don't know. And then it's things that we don't know that we don't know. And he says, I'm worried about the latter. Therefore, I'm worried about Iraq. So to put it in simple terms, things we know that we know, for example, let's say today it's Tuesday. Things we know that we don't know, for example, I know there are trees outside, I don't know if there are five or six trees, but there are trees outside. Things we don't know that we don't know, who could tell what's going to happen? Okay, so this is the precautionary principle. We take the unknown unknown, things that we don't know that we don't know, and we... Operate based on them basically. So what so we go from what could probably go wrong, where you know we measure statistics and we say, well, according to this probability, this might go wrong, but probably not go wrong, to what could possibly go wrong, where the percentage doesn't matter, but what matters is there's the possibility that something could go wrong. Now, objectivism comes in. How can we explain this this tendency in the West towards catastrophizing and towards seeing risk everywhere? Well, think about what has been happening for the last many decades. What has happened to the idea of reason, to the idea that reason is the way we view the world? And if we have a tool to navigate the world, then we're in a comfortable, in a confident stance. The world makes sense, which means we can navigate the world, we can measure risk, we can Uh, change things here, change things there, but the world makes sense. But if you throw away the idea of reason, or if you see humanity as basically a plague on earth, as this, this thing that destroys everything, then your relationship to risk changes. Your relationship to risk is basically don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. Your relationship becomes this caricature of this, Grumpy pensioner who sends uh, letters to the editor to the newspaper who says, Why do we see all this change? Change is bad, don't change anything. And this is unfortunately the the intellectual attitude of the West nowadays. And again, if you see the epistemological trends of the last decades, this is not a surprise. And again, you can find this both on the left and on the right. This idea that enlightenment and modernity is a, it has created disasters. And we are constantly at risk of even more disasters. Now, an interesting game I play on my mind quite often is, is there any bad tendency in the world that Ayn Run has not foreseen? And usually the answer is no. So let me read you something from Atlas Wright. So... It's not a spoiler, so it's the first part of the book, and it's the part where Hank Reardon, the the, the businessman and the create and the new inventor, has created bis- uh, red metal, and everyone is very cautious about red metal because the idea is we haven't tried this. So listen to this. This is the this is the quote verdict of the State Science Institute of the bureaucrats of that time of the book, 200, quote, it may be possible that after a period of heavy usage, a sudden fissure may appear, though the length of this period cannot be predicted later. The possibility of a molecular reaction, at present unknown cannot be entirely discounted. Although the tensile strength of the metal is obviously demonstrable, certain questions in regard to its behavior under unusual stress are not to be ruled out. Although there is no evidence to support this, the contention that the use of the metal should be prohibited, a further study of its properties would be of value. End quote. Now change reardon metal for the vaccine, and basically you have the same thing basically you have the same attitude and actually you see even the term precaution being mentioned elsewhere in the book again related to the reactions to reardon metal so the precautionary principle became big in 1992 Ayn Rand had already envisioned it from the late 40s or the or the 50s and I want to finish with Okay, so hopefully now we understand that not only action has risk, but inaction also has risk. So let me give another example where we saw the precautionary principle. It's the 10-year anniversary of the tragic earthquake and the the tsunami in Japan. So you might remember the nuclear accident in Fukushima. So what happened there is you had a very old nuclear factory. You had one of the strongest earthquakes in recent history in Japan. And then on top of that, you had the tsunami. And there was some radiation leak, there was damage to the nuclear factory. But overall, seeing it in retrospect, it was dealt very properly from the people who were there. And we can say it was a success. Uh, Very, very few people died, if any, from the radiation, from what we know from now. Some, there were damages, and there was of course uh, some destruction. But it was nowhere near, for example, with Chernobyl or whatever. And yet what happened? Germany, based on what happened in Fukushima, decided to severely, severely cut down the development of new nuclear plants and other countries as well. So they said, look, what if what happened in Japan might, might happen also to us? Well, I know the risks are very, very small and there was a huge earthquake and the tsunami, and it was one of the oldest factories, and yet the damage was not massive for a nuclear accident. But who tells me that this cannot happen here? And again, you could say, yes, but what, what do we lose from closing factors? when you lose the fact that now you are missing on one of the actually cleanest and most effective sources of energy. So when you see your energy bills rise, when many people suffer from, quote, energy poverty, or when we see things, hopefully we're not going to see them, but if we see things like the things we saw in Texas, this will be, again, an effect of ideas materializing in life. So ideas have consequences. This is my message from this episode. And ideas that might sound well, and might become slogans to the United Nations and every government. And I remember when I was a student, I had to read whole books about the Rio declaration and how important it is and the precautionary principle. But think a bit about these ideas because you scratch under the surface and behind them you see actually other bad ideas that lead to bad effects. So this is why I found the AstraZeneca versus European bureaucrats topic quite interesting because it gives us it allow us to see the impact of ideas in life anyway i don't want to go on for longer uh, as usual there's going to be a follow-up discussion on clubhouse on this topic or on any other topic you might want now let me also plug uh, because i mentioned Trump ready uh, let me plug his book the culture of fear or his newest book, How Fear Works. Obviously, he's not an objectivist, but again, he has had such an impact of me, for me as a person and as an intellectual. I have all the respect for him. I know many objectivists might disagree on with many of his views, but on this view of how we understand risk, how we understand fear, and how this is detrimental to our societies, I think he's spot on. Anyway, that was all for me. See you in Club Heist, or see you in a future daily objective.